The long-awaited Super Bowl arrives Sunday as the 1 in 7 Jets take on the 2 in 7 Giants. Someone has to win, right? Longtime New York Post columnist Mike Vaccaro drops by to preview the game and break down how bad the season has gone for Gangrene. The man, the myth, the legend Peter King of NBC Sports also joins us. All that next on Gangs All Here with the New York Post. You play to win the game. Welcome to Gangs All Here, a New York Jets podcast with the New York Post. I'm your host and Jets beat writer, Brian Costello. You can follow me on Twitter, at Brian Cos. Come join us for new episodes, Mondays and Thursdays. I'll take you inside the locker room and bring on my Post colleagues. My buddy Mike Vaccaro makes his debut on the podcast this episode. We'll also be joined every week by current and former Jets players and other special guests. Today's special guest is the great Peter King. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's get the party started. All right, let's go inside the locker room to get the show rolling. Jets are preparing for the big city rivalry with the Giants on Sunday. Uh, The big news really at Jets Wednesday was about Le'Veon Bell. He did not practice, but the Jets do expect him to play. It also looks like they might get tight end Chris Herndon back for the first time this season. He practiced fully Wednesday. That's his first practice this year. He began the year suspended, then hurt his hamstring. I mean, really, when you look at this this game on Sunday, breaking it down, it's just two really bad teams struggling to figure out if they've got the right coach, if they've got the right quarterback, uh, and how they can straighten this out for the rest of the season. I'm sure whoever wins this is going to build this as, okay, this is, this is the way we turned it around because the Giants come into this game having lost five straight games. The Jets have lost three straight. Uh, they lost to the winless Dolphins on Sunday. So, you know, th- this is going to be a matchup that will only only be loved by Jets and Giants fans. I don't think the national audience will be tuning into this game on Sunday. And really, uh, to me, you, you know, it's all about the coaches and the quarterbacks. Uh, Jets fans want Adam Gase fired. I feel like Giants fans are, are going that way with Pat Shermer as well. Jets fans aren't sure what Sam Donald is going through right now. He, he hasn't played well. Recently, although I thought he played a little bit better in Miami than the previous couple of weeks. And Daniel Jones is still, you know, an unknown quantity. He's fumbling the ball a lot. Uh, things you expect from a rookie. I think there's more pressure on Darnold than Jones at this point because he's in his second year. But uh, this game to me is going to be all about coaches and quarterbacks. That's enough for me. Let's get to our guests. Want to welcome in Mike Vaccaro now, my colleague from the New York Post, longtime columnist. And my Jets historian, he's a guy I lean on for Jets history questions all the time. Uh, Vac, let, let's dive into this great matchup this week with the Jets and the Giants. Starting off with the Jets, uh, you know, you've seen a lot of bad Jets teams, a lot of bad Jets seasons. Where does this one rank for you among uh, some of the calamities you've covered? Well, it's definitely right up there with the Rich Kotag year, the 1-15 year. I mean, when you there aren't a lot of teams that have gone 1-15. So when you, when you do that, I think you earn a special place for yourself in the history books. And I guess this team still has a shot. So I guess come, come see me again in, in, in late December. Maybe we can add them to the list. But uh, um, they definitely blown up there with them. I mean, look, there's been a bunch of desultory seasons, a lot of 3-11s in the 70s, and a couple of 4-12s here and there. Uh, you know, even even under coaches who had other who had successful tenures, like Herm Edwards and, and Eric Mangini. So, I mean, it's uh, it, it's not an unusual malaise that's taking place on on this team, but uh, I do think that uh, this team still has a couple of losses to compile before 
they uh, achieved the, I guess, the level of anti-greatness that uh, Coach Hyde's second and last team did. It's funny. Like I've covered some bad Jets teams in the last decade and some craziness. Like because this season's been wacky with. You know, Sam Sam Darnold getting mono and Kalechi Osemele having surgery and with the team without the team's permission, the whole Jamal Adams stuff last week was crazy. But I feel like it's louder. Like it's just gotten so much louder. The, the social media, the talk radio, everything just feels louder to me than it has. Even like the Tebow year, which was nuts in 2012. Um, have, do you find that back? Like, I mean, you cover everything. You cover all different sports. So do you think that just the reaction has just gotten amplified to all this stuff? I think there's two parts to it, Brian. I think, first of all, I mean, obviously, is the, the constant companion of social media. So, you know, Rich Kotite probably would have been uh, vaporized if Twitter had existed <laughs> in, 2000, in, in 1996. So I think yeah. that's definitely one part of it. But you know what? I really think another part of it is because, I mean, look, it's a, it's a theme that I keep going back to in my columns day after day, unfortunately, is that, the rest of the town is just in, in, in such a, a pit of losing right now. You know, don't forget, when, 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 when Kotite's team went 1-15, the Yankees won their first World Series in, in almost 20 years that year. You know, a, a, lot, a lot of other bad teams have been muffled because either the Giants are playing well or the baseball teams have played well. Or, you know, once upon a time, the basketball teams are kind of starting their, their journeys towards, you know, hopeful title season. So... I think that has also hurt the Jets in that, you know, they're almost the, the, uh, the spokespeople now for just how bad the rest of the town is. And look, the Islanders have won eight in a row, and that's, that's great for Islanders fans. But, um, you know, generally speaking, it's not a good time to be a New York sports fan. And I think that because the Jets are, are the worst of the worst, if you will, although I guess they kind of battle the Knicks for that title, you know, at least on Sundays, they're the worst of the worst. And I think that kind of makes it seem a little louder. And, and look, I, I just think sports make people angrier now than they used to. I mean, you know, it, it's you, know, you, you talked about how every game is this, is this like almost one game season, and everybody wants to have a referendum on everything every time they play it. And I think that's part of it also. I think those are the three things that really go along to it. But uh, but it definitely is. I mean, it's 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 to the point where it's it's hard to it's hard to follow because people are so angry and so uncontrolled with their rage. And I'm not just talking about Benigno. <laughs> he's the leader he's the patron saint of the angry jets fan um obviously right now the the object of all their derision is pretty much adam gase he he seems to be taking every bullet right now and you went out you went out there and a day did a daring thing on twitter last week asking for patience with adam gase and you might have regretted that sunday afternoon when they were losing in miami uh you know how do you how do you think this plays out with, with gase here over the last uh eight weeks of the season Look, there's the logical and there's the visceral, right? I mean, logic tells you that there's not a coach or manager who's that incompetent for the most part where they, they shouldn't deserve at least a second year because usually a team, uh, a guy takes over a team and there's problems. That's why he's there in the first place. And certainly that was the case with the Jets. And you would think that a guy deserves at least a year to clean out the detritus and then a year to play with his own players. That said, if this gets to the point where it's 1-15, and where the quarterback has become the shadow of himself and the locker room is chaos, then you have to revisit it. That's the visual. I, I, I do think that, look, I, I, I think that, that Gase can still salvage, at least, you know, where, where, where it's important with the, owner, with the ownership. It seems that the owner still wants to have faith in him. I don't know if the owner will be that, that forgiving if he's 1-15, but 
That's the guy he's got to impress in order to be able to, to retain this job. No matter how much of what noise is out there, no matter how much the fans scream and clamor for him. And, and this isn't a point about just, you know, the Jets ignoring their fans. I mean, you know, I, I think the notion that, 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 that franchises don't listen to their fans is, is silly because the fans change their opinion every other day. A team that follows its fans, the wins of its fans, is going to be a, a terrible, despondent team. Now, we can make a joke or two about, you know, where the Jets are, how going to get much worse. But, but uh, look, I, I, I don't think it's a lost cause for the days. I think certainly if they, if they can beat the Giants this weekend, you can try and salvage a modicum of respect out of the season. Um, is 4 and 12, 5 and 11 something that anybody would want to, you know, frame on a wall? Of course not. But, look, I mean, you and I talked about this you know, at the beginning of the season. I mean, they were kind of set up in a bad spot because they had a, a tough schedule. Even if everything had gone right, you could have easily seen this team start out, you know, one and four, two and five, something like that. And so they're not that much worse than what they would have been even if they had been playing well. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I get I think it's just the way it's looked. Eight offensive touchdowns in eight games, people can't take. And I mean the Darnold Mono thing was crazy and, and he's dealt with a lot of injuries, but I understand the frustration. You know, they thought, oh hi like how what did we hear during the coaches there's hire an offensive coach, hire an offensive coach. They hire an offensive coach, and, and the guy can't get the ball in the end zone. So I, I understand the fans' frustration, but I, I agree with a lot a lot of what you said. And I think Mike McCagnan, it, it's funny I wrote this. Like, If Mike McCagnan hadn't been fired in May, if he was still here, he'd be taking a lot of the blame right now. Like A lot of the people would be pointing at him and saying, okay, it's time to get him out of here. But when he was fired, it was almost a bad thing for Adam Gase because he everything fell on him now. He's taken all of the – everything's targeted at him. No one can say anything about Joe Douglas. He hasn't really done anything yet. So it's just been, it's just been brutal. And let's be honest. I mean, you know, what a fair night. I mean, what a fair night. The perception was there was a palace coup and that the guy who wound up rising to power, the emperor was Adam Gates. And so there really is nobody else to blame. I mean, except he was one of the hired Christopher Johnson who allowed that all to go on. But, you know, it's kind of thing with Gates now. Look, 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 if he gets fired, it's not going to be the worst injustice in the world. I mean, it's not going to be Pete Carroll getting fired at 6 and 10 in order to hire Rich Kose, which, of course, I think everybody can understand was probably a bad decision. But, I mean, look, if he goes, if he goes 2 and 14 and they just look awful in those 14 losses, I mean, it's, it's, it's not going to be hard to build a case. It's going to be very hard to say that, that he was treated unfairly because, you know, look, he, he came here as an open book. I mean, he came here with a record. And really, all this has done is for those people who weren't, you know, excited about Gaze in the first place, it's kind of given them reason to feel the same way, only stronger. All right, let's talk about this great matchup we're going to watch Sunday at one o'clock. A lot, a lot of excitement here for this this big uh, this big showdown between the two teams. You've covered both teams this year. How, how, what do you think happens Sunday? Who do you think wins this game? Somebody has to win, I think. Well, I mean, you know, we could we could get a tie, and that would, of course, be the most epic decision of all. Um, look, I, I think if you're looking at it objectively, you have to say the Giants have the better team. Now, that's you know, kind of a classic choice between airline food and hospital food when you're talking about the two the two options. But um, you know, but 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 if you look, I mean, all you got to do is look what you know the Giants lost to the Cowboys at home this weekend, and who did the Jets beat? They beat the Cowboys at home. So if you want to go common foes, that's certainly one you can look at and say, well. Now, of course, the Giants, you know, redeem themselves a lot more respectively against the Patriots than the Jets did. And so but we, can go, we, we, we can play that game team by team. But, um, look, I think I, I think for better or worse, it's probably going to be a close game. <laughs> and I think that it's probably going to be the team that makes the fewest mistakes. And there's probably going to be a lot of mistakes 
because both teams are mistake prone. You know, I mean, uh, I, I'm not sure we're going to see a lot of the punters because both defenses have been beaten up a lot. Um, that said, I, I you know, I, I think that uh, you're probably going to see more than a couple of turnovers because both quarterbacks are seem proficient at that. So, look, it's not going to be a fun game to watch. It's going to be, it's going to be a game that's going to make people who remember the fond days of blackouts kind of nostalgic. Um, but, uh, look, I mean, here's the thing, though. We, we get this game once every four years. And once they're together on the field on Sunday, I really do think, I mean, I'm not going to say you're necessarily going to throw the records out, but I do think that when you're watching the game, if you're a Giants fan, if you're a Jets fan, you really want to win that game. Uh, partly for bragging rights, partly because just makes, you know, you, you, it's, like, even in this talk of tanking, you know, I think if you give a fan truth serum and they're saying, you know, they, they might tell the people, oh, I want this much to lose, get a high draft pick. I think if you give them truth serum, they want to win the game every game they play, certainly against your you know, cross-town rival. And I think once those two teams are on the field for those three hours, as ugly as the game itself might be, people are going to be interested. And it's going to be fun because we don't get it every year. You know, we get Yankees Mets every year. We get Knicks Mets every year. We get the Islanders and the Rangers and the Devils playing each other every year. We don't get this game every year. And I think that, look, I mean, for better or worse, this is what we're going to have until until 2023. Hopefully by then, <laughs> we'll have guys on both sides. On both sides of the journey, you know what they're doing. But right now, we get what we get. Yeah, maybe we'll get it straight by 2023, the motto of the New York football teams. Well, Vac, thanks for joining us today. I'll see you Sunday at 1 o'clock for the the big showdown. Uh, check out Mike Vaccaro's columns in the paper and at nypost.com and follow him on Twitter, at Mike Vac, V-A-C-C. All right, Vac, thanks for joining us. All right, Brian, take care. Good luck. Before we hand it off to our guest, Peter King, coming up next, let's take you into the world of Sam's Fantasy with our New York Post fantasy football writer, Samantha Praviti. Thanks, Kaz. Hopefully your teams are doing better than the 1-7 in seven Jets, because if you're not, you're probably facing elimination in your fantasy football leagues. Let's pick six games around the Week 10 slate and let you know who to start and who to sit. Thursday night in the Bay, it's an AFC West duel between the Chargers and Raiders. Start Hunter Henry. The Chargers tight end has looked like a must-start since returning from injury in Week 6. He's averaging 85 yards per game. This is the perfect matchup against the bad Raiders defense that's 28th in the league in points allowed. Sit Tyrell Williams. Tyrell won't get the revenge match against his former squad. Getting fewer targets than rookie Hunter Renfro is not ideal. Off to the Snoopy Bowl at MetLife. Someone's going to win, or tie, start the Giants' defense. Look, I know it sounds insane, but the G-Men are actually a great Week 10 streaming option. Darnold has 11 turnovers since returning from Mono in Week 6. Speaking of Darnold, sit Sam Darnold this week. Until he stops seeing ghosts, you're sitting your Jets players. No Tigers, but we've got Lions and Bears, oh my. Start, David Montgomery. The rookie back is having a great breakout season in spite of bad coaching and quarterback play. He just posted two touchdowns against a strong Philly run defense. Sit, Ty Johnson. The Lions' new running back took over for Carrion Johnson when he went on IR, but he hasn't been good, with zero touchdowns. Expect the disappointment to continue against a strong Bears D. We head to the Big Easy for a first versus last place matchup in the NFC South. Start, Julio Jones. Julio had 10 catches for 152 yards in Week 8 and is poised to have another monster game. Atlanta's defense is the second worst in the NFL. Matty Ice is going to have to be throwing a billion times. Sit Latavius Murray. Murray's looked great in Alvin Kamara's absence, but he's on track to return this week, and Murray drops to flex status, if even that. 
The Ravens go to Cincy for the debut of Ryan Finley, which means start the Ravens defense. After a rocky start, the Ravens defense has looked stellar, posting 18 and 13 points against the Seahawks and Patriots over the last two games. They are a must start this week against the winless Bengals. Sit, Auden Tate. Tate's looked serviceable with John Ross and AJ Green sidelined, but Finley is such a huge wild card. It's hard to see how Tate or this offense racks up any points. Samantha's shootout of the week. The cards go to Tampa. Start Ronald Jones. Rojo had 18 carries last week in comparison to Barber's four, and it's starting to look like he's going to be the top guy in Tampa. Sit, David Johnson. Kenyon Drake hopped off a plane and went absolutely bananas in his Cardinals debut. With Johnson's lingering ankle injury, it's hard to see him slide right back into that feature role. And that's a wrap for Sam's Fantasy. You can read my Start Say articles and the rest of fantasy football coverage at nypost.com. Good luck in Week 10. I want to welcome in now Peter King. You read his Football Morning in America column every Monday morning. That's a must read if you're a football fan. You listen to his podcast, the Peter King Podcast. I know I do it each week. And he's a great follow on Twitter, at Peter underscore King. Peter, it feels like uh, ages ago we were standing on the sideline in Florham Park at the beginning of training camp when you were doing your, your training camp tour, and we were looking at these Jets, and now they're 1-7. <laughs> the fan base wants the coach fired. Uh, it seems like there's a new fire every week. You know, What do you make of these, these Jets right now? Well, you know, I, I, I wasn't very optimistic about them when I left Florham Park that day. It's because, you know, the, the, the biggest reason is that I think everybody gets way over optimistic in, uh, in July and August. And no one really looks very deep into a team at its flaws. And uh, or very few people look really deep at the flaws. And I think the biggest flaw this team had, I remember listening to uh, – Le'Veon Bell that day, so excited. You know, I want, I want the ball 25 times a game and all that. You know, which is he was he was extraordinarily optimistic. Loved Gates, loved Darnold, and you know, I just remember leaving there that day, saying, you know, what really have you done as an organization to improve? either one of the or the worst offensive lines in football. Uh, not a lot. I mean, you bring in a center uh, from Carolina that uh, was lower rated by pro football focus last year than the incumbent he was supposed to replace. But because he had a name, everybody says, well, okay, we're going to really improve there. And that just usually doesn't happen that way. You know, it very, very rarely happens that way. And that's when I, when I left there, I said, I just don't know if they're going to be able to block anybody to be able to get Le'Veon Bell, the gaps that he needs, the creases he needs. Because remember the one thing about Le'Veon Bell that I thought was really special in Pittsburgh is that he was patient because he could be patient. You know, he had this unique running style that nobody else in the game has or, or had. And, you know, when you watched him run, you would say, man, incredible running style. But that's made possible by, by the fact that 
that Mike Munchak and that offensive line group was able to do that. So, so honestly, I just felt when I left there that day that they were going to have a real problem uh, holding up on the offensive line. They have. It's only gotten worse because their big import, you know, Collegio Semele has had this crash and burn thing with the team. And uh, so it's like everything, what else is new with the Jets? Everything that could go wrong has gone wrong. Right now, I think, you know, the the biggest concern in Jets fans' minds is the head coach. Uh, you know, they fans are pretty much unanimous right now. They want him gone. You've seen Adam Gase not only with the Jets, but the three years in Miami. I'm not sure if you knew him when he was a coordinator with Chicago or Denver. What um What's your feeling about Adam Gase as a coach and his future with the Jets? Well, Brian, I think that the biggest problem that I have with him right now is what everybody sees, that Sam Darnold is worse than he was last year and perhaps significantly worse. And I think when something like that happens, you have to ask yourself why. Okay, I do not totally blame – I don't totally blame Adam Gates for this. Sam Darnold has been running for his life ever since he got back from Mono. I mean, so, so uh, you know, that – Adam Gates can only do so much about that. And so I'm not at the front of the line of people who say it's over for him. you got to get rid of him and all that. But what I will say is he's got to be held accountable for this quarterback looking worse, significantly worse than he did last year. And, again, it's possible in the second half of the season that that, that gets better. Um but I, I think I think the biggest the biggest thing I would say is that uh, I, I I'm not I have not been a fan of what Gase has done with his team, but I'm not sure that this Bill Walsh or, or Paul Brown were the coach of this team right now that they'd be getting a lot more out of the offense than they than they have been because very simply if your line can't block nothing good can happen. Yeah, I agree with you. You know, I, I've been one to say like asking for patience on Gase. No, no, no Jets fans seem to have it right now. I also think he hasn't had Chris Herndon for eight games who showed a lot of promise as a rookie last year, a tight end. He doesn't have a true number one wide receiver on this offense. Like there, there are major, major issues personnel wise on this team that I feel like kind of get overlooked when the season starts, people just expect them to work miracles and it hasn't happened, but I agree with you. The next eight weeks, He's got to get something fixed with Sam Darnold. Sam has to look better for him. You know, for I think ownership needs to feel like they're going in the right direction at the end of the season to keep him. Um, that's just where I'm at. I I heard you last week, Peter, on your podcast with Mike Florio. Uh, I guess you recorded it right after the trading deadline, and you were pretty you were pretty worked up about Jamal Adams. Like I, I was I was I was surprised at how adamant you were that you you thought they shouldn't trade him and they shouldn't even really be considering. Uh, the trade that when they did on the deadline, just you know, why why did you feel that way? Why do you feel like they should they should hold on to Jamal Adams rather than dangling him in a trade? Because this is going to be a topic all off season. I can feel it coming. Yeah, no question about it, Brian. I think the biggest biggest reason is that at some point, at some point, you have to start using your draft choices, and you've got to start using them wisely. 
and you can't keep saying, well, Leonard Williams has been okay, but not great. We're going to give him away for next to nothing to the Giants because we're probably not going to sign him. Okay. And time after time, I mean, I had a note in my column, uh, you know, the other day, basically that said uh, that between 2010 and 2017, the New York Jets in those eight drafts, the New York Jets had nine first round picks. They were all defensive players. The only one left is Jamal Adams. So, you know, we can we can have a conversation about, okay, well, this guy didn't work out because of X and Muhammad Wilkerson and, and, and all this. And I, and I get it. I get that those are nine distinct separate stories. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, you have wasted, wasted eight of nine first-round picks in an eight-year period. And those guys right now should be the cornerstones of your team. And they aren't. And so my thing about Jamal Adams, uh, and, 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 and also, I don't believe you hang on to a guy just because he's been, he's been a first-round draft pick. But, but I also think that there have been management issues, uh, front office issues, coaching issues that have basically uh, contributed to a lot of those problems that they've had. And, and probably scouting issues. You know, did you not see that Sheldon Richardson was a difficult guy and a hard guy to, uh, to manage, uh, you know, when he was in college? Because, I mean, he sure did some weird things. If you were going to consider him, when you draft a guy so high like Sheldon Richardson, you got to consider that we, we think this guy's going to be a cornerstone player for us. And almost from the start, you know, it was a, it was a, it was a debacle. So listen, if, if Jamal Adams has reached the end of his line with the Jets, I mean, I'll shake my head, I'll understand it, but it's just another example of why the Jets are bad every year, every year. You know, it just, it never ends. And it's because that they can't find a way, whatever way that is, because they can't find a way to show the players on their team that they know what they're doing and that they're going to do everything they can to win and that you're part of the solution. You're not part of the problem. And that's why uh, I was so adamant about Jamal Adams, because I am so sick of Everybody saying, well, you know, if you can get this, this, and this for him, go get it. How, how, how many more times are you going to say that? How many more times? And that's why I was so at the end of my rope when I was hearing people say, well, go ahead, trade him. Jeez. Right. Stop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think, I, I mean, it's it's an interesting debate. It's going to be one. I mean, it, it reminds me of Revis um, in 2013 when we were having this debate whether they should trade Revis or not. And, uh you know, Joe Douglas, he, he comes in here, he hasn't made a draft pick yet. And I think he's looking at this roster and going, Oh my God, like I need to completely rebuild the offensive line. I need a number one cornerback. I need a left tackle. I need a wide receiver. <laughs> like the list goes on and on. And I think he's just trying to figure out how can I get the most picks, you know? And Jamal's the guy. He needs all that. I get it. I totally get it. And if it turns out that you're pretty sure that Jamal Adams, is not going to resign for anything near what the current market is, then you got to do what you got to do. 
But all I'm saying is that, you know, I, I remember, you know, somebody said, oh, my God, the Dolphins, they're picks now. Look at all these picks. And I just said, here's what I want you to do. Okay, well, here, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back and look at the draft picks that the Rams got when they traded out of getting RG3. They traded out of the second pick of the draft. Um, I mean, I would say they've gotten one player out of that, one player and one player only, and that player has been a moderately good player, Brockers, Michael Brockers. He's not been a great player, and, and that's it. That's all. So, you know, all I can say is I understand that people want to fill the holes and they want to get the, the draft capital. And I really like Joe Douglas. He's got a sterling reputation of picking players. So I'm not saying that if he had an extra one and two twos uh, over the next two drafts, that, that, that he wouldn't use them wisely. All I'm saying is that I'm not sure at all that it would be better than keeping Jamal Adams. Yeah, no, it's an interest. It's going to be, it's going to be a storyline up to the draft. You know, you can feel it coming. Um, I wanted to get hit, hit on something else with you. The, the officiating has just been such a huge story this year in the NFL. And I know you've talked about it and written about it a lot. And the Jets had a couple reviews on Sunday. Uh, one took a touchdown away where the ball slightly moved when the tight end Ryan Griffin hit the ground uh, out of bounds and they took the touchdown off the board. And then Sam Darnold threw a terrible interception on the next play. And on the another one, um, Robbie Anderson was called for offensive pass interference. I'm not sure if you saw this play where he it was a little swing pass and he hit the guy at the line and they said he was he was, you know, it was pass interference and Gase challenged it. It was his first time challenging a PI call and they held it up. And even Gene Steratour on CBS said it should not have been pass interference. I mean, what does the league do about this this officiating crisis and specifically this pass interference story that just feels like it's a cloud every week over the over the league. I think what they do is the owners get into uh, uh, their meeting next year and say this has been a lot more, this has been a bigger problem uh, than than benefit, and so we're going to make it one and done. Uh, I don't hear anybody around the league saying, "Yeah, we got to keep working at this," and then. Uh, uh, we'll come back next year and it'll be better. I don't hear anybody saying that. All I hear people saying is uh, we got to get rid of this. So who knows? Cooler heads usually prevail in the month or two after the season. So I, I can't tell you what's going to happen. But I think, Brian, the biggest issue that I see in, I think, two of the last 33 now uh, uh, appeals, uh, you know, or challenges, two of the last 33 have been overturned uh, by Al Riveron. I think what that says is that sometime between last March in Phoenix, when the rule got changed, and uh, today, somewhere between that time, uh, or maybe between week three of this year, either Al Riveron had an epiphany and said, we're not doing anything, we're not changing any calls until the playoffs, or, uh, you know, it's going to have to be going to have to rise to the level of a capital offense for us to change it because I, I i think the worst case so far this year happened in the fourth quarter of a blowout patriots giants game in foxborough with about maybe four minutes to go where golden tate was uh 
you know, open over the middle and a clear second before he got there, he was mugged. I think it was by Jonathan Jones. He was just mugged. And uh, at that time, you know, the Giants basically said, we, you know, this is a, this is a terrible, a terrible non-call and, and we're going to appeal it. And when that one wasn't fixed, I said, not that the fix is in. I said, they're not going to change calls. So why is the rule on the books? And so I just I think it ought to go away unless they're going to unless they're going to call it the way the competition committee and the owners voted for it. Yeah, it's funny. Pat Shermer is one guy that's he's consistently still challenging it. Even Monday night, there was one on Evan Ingram that he challenged, even though he's not winning any of these challenges. He, he a lot of coaches, I feel like, have said, OK, I'm not going to challenge this because I'm not going to waste the time out. Shermer's kind of been stubborn about it. You know, it's, it's an interesting thing. You know what has happened, Brian? Honestly, what is what's really what's really happened is that guys like Pat Shermer and Mike Tomlin and Pete Carroll have said, "We're going to show you the folly of this rule. We're going to keep throwing on these, and we're going to. It's worth it for us to lose a timeout to shove it in your face." And I don't think that that's smart. I mean, Pete Carroll made a horrible decision the other day. Uh, you know, he had a chance; he was going to get the ball back maybe with a minute, minute and a half to go. And they and they were either going to be tied with Tampa or behind of Tampa. And he used, uh, he used the challenge, even though after the game he said openly, I knew they weren't going to overturn it. But I've been so frustrated about this rule that I challenged it. I mean, you know, that's not, that's not very smart. But that's how angry coaches are about it right now. Wanted to hit one last thing with you, Peter, before I let you go. I really appreciate the time today. Um, you know, Sports Illustrated was was a big part of your life for a long time. I grew up reading you in Sports Illustrated. You're the you were the face of that magazine for a lot of football fans for a lot of years. Obviously, a lot of changes there recently. What what has been your feelings about what's what's gone on with Sports Illustrated, your old shop, uh, recently? Well, I mean, Brian. You know, a mega change has been coming for years. Um, I've told a few people that one of the things that happened when I, when we founded the MMQB, uh, our little microsite covering the NFL, one of the things that I had to do every year was I had to go out uh, for, I'd say on average, about two weeks every spring and summer trying to sell sponsorships and advertising. Um you know, both to the MNQB and to Sports Illustrated. And uh, the first year, we did great. Second year, we did okay. Third year, I remember I went out to 19 uh, places in that third year. I went all over the country. I went to Cart, uh, uh, I think it was uh, uh, Toyota uh, and Honda out in California. I mean, I went all over the United States. And went to 19 places, had dinners, had drinks, had schmooze fest with people. And we got, and, and, the, and the, the big deal was they wanted not only to get advertising in SI, or not only to get advertising for the MMQB, digital advertising, but they wanted to get print ads in SI. And at that time, it's just nobody was interested in advertising in Sports Illustrated anymore. You know, it was it was over, and so I kind of knew we got we got one out of nineteen, 
you know, signed up with us that, that summer. And so that really, that is what has happened to this business. And it's not just SI. It's any print product, really. I mean, look at the ESP and the magazine. They found out. It's just that has been the most difficult part of it that to, for people, even though probably you and I, you know, I get newspaper, I get two newspapers delivered to my to my apartment in Brooklyn every day because I still like the feel of a newspaper in my hand. But you know, at the end of the day, I you got to realize I'm 62 years old, and there's not a lot of people who are still using print, and so that that is what I think is the the message for SI. And obviously, I'm sad about it. We all want everything to to go on the way it has forever, but <clears throat> it's not going to and and I just I hope they can find some way to to stay alive and and make a run of it for a while. All right Peter, well, I really appreciate it. I uh, I recommend everybody subscribe to the Peter King podcast. He does a great job. He has great guests every week. Read the Football Morning in America column on NBC on Pro Football Talk as well every Monday morning and follow him on Twitter at Peter underscore King. Peter, thanks so much for doing this. No problem, Brian. Really enjoyed it. Have a great day. You too. That's a wrap for Gangs All Here, our New York Jets football podcast with the New York Post. Thanks to our producer, Jake Brown, for putting together another stellar show. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any of your preferred podcast platforms for the best Jets content out there. You can find more Jets news by signing up for our daily New York Post sports newsletter and by visiting nypost.com. We'll be back on Monday for a Jets-Giants joint special episode with me, Paul Schwartz, and Blue Rush podcast host, Jimmy Fallon. We'll see you then.